On today's podcast, we're going to talk about who is running Canada's new internment camps, the origin of the coronavirus, the 2022 Beijing Summer Olympics, and the appropriate means by which Canadians have begun to push back against the government's lockdown measures, and what it means for the church. Prepare yourself, you're about to listen to another episode of the Good is Dumb podcast, the sworn enemy of good's dumbness, and the podcast for all us dummies who fear God more than they fear men. Now here are your hosts, L and CB. Welcome to it, guys. As always, my name is CB, and I'm joined by my lovely and talented wife, Elle. Um, On today's podcast, we have a jam-packed schedule. We're going to be talking about the news of the day um, and what this means for the church. Um, But before we get into that, as always, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. We hope that you're doing well. And uh, if you want to follow and connect with us, you can on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Podcast. You can also email us at Good is dumb podcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you want to listen to more of the show, uh, you can visit our homepage at anchor.fm slash good is dumb podcast, or you can visit our YouTube page for more great content. Um, on our YouTube page, it's relatively new. We hope that we're going to have some parodies coming there soon, some extra content that you guys hopefully will enjoy. Um, and yeah, we, we're just really excited today because we got, like I said, a jam packed schedule. Um, and, uh, before we jump into what we're going to do today, here is L with good news, bad news in the week that was good news, bad news in the week that was Tom Brady captures his seventh Super Bowl championship as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers rooted the Kansas City Chiefs 31 to nine. Yet the top story Monday morning was how Florida residents packed the stadium, packed the bars and packed the dance floors to celebrate and enjoy victory while sporting naked faces, ensuring that COVID shaming remains more important than returning to normal and people legally enjoy a taste of normalcy and freedom. In other news, in emails dated June 2020 from senior staff members in Prime Minister Trudeau's office that were leaked this week, it is clear that our government intends to keep as much information about the virus and Canada's response to it from Canadians as possible. With one of the emails reading, a detailed announcement would mean that the government could be held accountable to show that funds were spent exactly as announced, reducing flexibility to move money across buckets if necessary. Emails that were leaked at a time when it is becoming clear that accountability is needed more than ever regarding government's response to COVID, as Canada is now ranked 41st in the world when it comes to handling COVID. It is 12 times worse than the U.S. in terms of herd immunity and vaccination rate, and Canada has now experienced only half the drop of infections that the U.S. has experienced since January 11, 2021. Meanwhile, in Ontario, Ford has announced that the stay-at-home order will be extended beyond February 9th, except for three public health units in eastern Ontario, which erased restrictions Wednesday, and that Ontario will begin reopening the economy next week in specific regions. Returning Ontario to its original approach, which was to evaluate the need for lockdown restrictions on a region-by-region basis, with 25 other public health units to have the stay-at-home order lifted on February 16th. 
while hotspots Toronto, Peel, and York regions won't be won't see restrictions ease until February 22, 2021. Yet while this is great news, the more measured approach will still mean communities face more restrictions than before to the stay-at-home orders implementation even as their regions are deemed safe enough to begin to open up, leading some to wonder, is this just a ploy to appease anti-lockdown proponents? Moving on, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms has begun to compile a list of those unjustly affected by the new federal government travel restrictions. For the purpose of bringing a lawsuit against the federal government regarding its current procedure to unjustly detain Canadians without having committed a crime, unjustly make them pay for that detainment without just cause, and detaining them for 14 days regardless of their COVID-19 test results, thus eliminating the supposed just cause for their detainment. Meanwhile, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association pointed out that these new measures of fining Canadian travelers $2,000 to pay for their own detention hurts middle-class and lower-income Canadians much more punitively, once again demonstrating that lockdowns are luxuries of the rich elites and a death knell for the average Canadian. In other news, Dr. Theresa Tam, Canada's chief public health officer, when asked about when Canadians can expect for those vaccines to allow us to return to normal life, had this to say, listen. Because we do not know if the vaccines are good at reducing uh, transmission of the virus or asymptomatic infection. It is actually really difficult to, to say um, what point that, that would be. But I do think that, you know, we, we just have to keep week by week monitoring uh, as vaccines roll out, what that real-time impact is. And I will be looking towards the United Kingdom and Israel and other countries for uh, some of those signs as well. And then our modelers are also hard at work right now trying to input these evolving parameters into a model together with the public health measures to see if they can give us some uh, forecasting. But uh, right now it's a matter of just watch the space. Translation? Take your experimental injection, sit down, shut up, and learn your Chinese. With this week's Chinese phrase of the week being, Which translated means, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me, I can't get fooled again, you would think. Moving on, race baiters who are looking to bring peace and harmony to Canada are now demanding that Canada banks release data regarding their customers' race, gender, income, and neighborhoods in order, in order to grapple with microaggressions, unconscious bias, and discrimination in Canada's banking system. Once again, proving that a race baiter's top skill is their ability to create problems where there previously weren't any. Go team! But don't worry, Toronto Mayor John Tory is on the case, keeping racism alive and well by announcing last week that Toronto will fund the Black Scientist Task Force on Vaccine Equity to do everything possible to provide black residents with the information they need to get around and get over vaccine hesitancy, ensuring that the signature pattern of reestablishing systemic racism in government programming by progressive woke politician is kept alive. As the task force mandate is clearly based on the fundamental belief that black people are so uneducated and so unintelligent that they need to be actively targeted by the government in order to be told what they should think and what they should do. 
Lastly, in the U.S., it has now been decided that after the tragedy of the Capitol Hill riots on January 6th, pillow fights will be the new way citizens settle political disputes, with progressive gun control activist David Hogg announcing this week that he would be starting a pillow company to compete with Trump supporters Mike Lindell's MyPillow Empire, with Hogg this week beginning to announce his team for the upcoming pillow fight. Naming Brandon Wolf, an LGBTQ activist with no experience in the manufacturing or selling of pillows, to the new company, Good Pillows, Activist Advisory Board. Proving once again that the woke who self-proclaim themselves to be good are just plain dumb. We just hope for everyone's sake that this pillow fight will live up to the epic pillow fights of communities Abed and Troy. And this has been Good News Bad News in the week that was. Now, I, I don't know how uh, all of you are feeling about the government's overreach into our lives through these lockdowns, um, but again, on the show, we do not appreciate it at all. Um, we hope that uh, you guys have been surviving and that you guys have been uh, blessed by God um, through this time. We know that it's been difficult. Um, yeah, we're just really grateful for uh, God's protection during this time and God's blessing on our family. Um, but there are people who are going through more struggles than what we're facing. Um, and, um, they're doing it as they're coming back across the Canadian border. So as we heard, um, this week, the Trudeau government is now demanding that people have negative COVID-19, um, tests when they come back from the States because people, uh, when crossing the land border, because what people have started to do is they started to come back across the land border instead of by air to avoid the new um, travel restrictions so that they can avoid getting quarantined in an, in an internment camp. Um, and this has kind of been what the news has been buzzing about for the past week or so. Um, but what they aren't telling us, um, and and this is why we need alternative news sources, because the mainstream media isn't really doing a good job at explaining to Canadians the danger of these camps. Um, what they aren't telling us is that the military says they have nothing to do with these coronavirus quarantine camps. So um, in an article by the Post Millennial, um, the Department of National Defense said on Monday that they have no connection to the quarantine camps being set up by the Trudeau government, despite mistaken claims from the Department of Public Works. Um, two MPs reached out to Public Works for more information about these supposed quarantine camps. Um, with Public Works replying that this is a Department of National Defense issue. Public Works acts as a contracting arm for the government, so while we have posted this request for information, we have done so on behalf of Defense. The Department of Public Works sent a request for information to various contractors that month seeking information on quarantine housing and isolation sites. The emails from concerned MPs were also forwarded to the military. However, in breaking news, uh, Todd Lane, the press secretary of the Ministry of National Defense, said that such a forwarding was misdirected to our office and that this is not an issue of the military. Since, as we know from the various stories that have been coming out, um, people have been talking about these armed guards showing up at immigration and people appealing to immigration for leniency or to immigration um, because they have a, a negative COVID test that they paid out of their own pocket to, to show that they don't need to go into quarantine. And yet what immigration has been telling people as they're coming back to Canada is we have nothing to do with this. And so people are being taken away by these armed guards that no one knows who they are. And as it turns out, the public works department, which has contracted these people, don't even know who they are. 
and it is not the military interning Canadians. So, so who is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that's the question: is who exactly is interning Canadians? Yeah. In these camps, uh, sorry, hotel rooms, um, against their will and against uh, even the science that they're claiming that it's based on. Because even if you have a negative COVID nineteen test, they're now saying that that you will have to quarantine at these sites. Um. Especially because as a Scarborough man who was recently for- forced into such an arbitra- arbit- arbitrary detention site um, said that it is like a jail cell, essentially. The meals are not what you would expect at a hotel. The atmosphere feels like an incarceration camp. Um, and they are just really limiting everyone's freedom and everyone's ability to con- connect with their family, contact their family. because. Clearly, the government has something to hide here, and whenever the government has something to hide, we know it's not good, or else they would just Mm -hmm. come out and tell us what's going on. Um, so that is that's just nuts. That's crazy. You're paying two thousand dollars for. You're essentially paying two thousand dollars to be jailed. Yeah, that's insane. I don't. I don't know how we're allowing this to go on in Canada. I mean, luckily, um, as we as we talked about in the good news, bad news in the week that was, there are um, uh, groups of lawyers that are going to fight this on behalf of Canadians. Thank God, right? Um, But it is simply ridiculous that this is going on in Canada, which is supposedly a free country, um, that people who are returning to their home, Canada, would be incarcerated as if they had committed a crime. That's just insane. That's just... I, I can't even... believe that's happening yeah it's just kind of mind-boggling and the fact that we don't know who's doing this we the you know like who's behind this who who's allowing this and who what committee is that what like there's no answers we're just left in the dark yeah which makes it again really difficult to know who to hold accountable who to appeal to yeah um uh who to eat as as the mps themselves even said we don't even know who to get information from because is anyone MPs, Trudeau about this? Yeah, and that's the other thing is the mainstream media is complicit in this because they don't ask these tough questions. They don't even yeah. bring this up. Everyone thought, oh, okay, maybe the military or the immigration yeah. department, established departments that, that have um, accountability procedures in them are handling these sites. No, we don't even know who is handling these sites. And when MPs... So not not just some random person in the public, but an MP asks for more information about these sites. They're being stonewalled by the government, and the government doesn't even seem to know who is running these sites. That's just so sketchy. Do we know how many people, um, by any chance, have been placed in these internment camps? So I don't know the exact number. That's a really good question. Um, I do know that it's it's at least a few dozen mm-hmm. um, because there have been multiple stories coming out about people in turn in these sites. Um, and it, it's just, it's just, it just must be really terrifying. Yeah. Um, I just wish we could hear more on like what the people are saying, like what's actually happening there, because obviously the rest of the public, no one knows what's going on. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, we do know that supposedly they are being um, put in these hotel rooms at 
with armed guards at the door. Oh, really? Yeah, and the armed guards are the ones that feed them, uh, keep them alive, uh, make sure they're not violating quarantine. Um, but we don't know who these armed guards are, and therefore we don't know what kind of procedures they're using to take care of Canadians uh, to ensure that people's health health is health needs are being met. Yeah, what about mental health? Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, like as a Scarborough man said, um, who recently came out of one of those hotel rooms, he is very concerned about people who are being interned there that have family, that have dependents that they need to look after. And they can't go home and, and take care of their families. Yeah. And these families are just being left with all these questions about how their loved one is, where their loved one is, who is handling their loved one and taking care of them, who is... Are they not allowed to who contact to ask? the outside while they're in there? So, so as far as I've understood from the stories that have been coming out from Canadians in these... in that were put in these intern camps or no people that were put in these intern camps, they're not allowed contact with the outside. Not even like by phone. Yeah, which is crazy because I don't know how the disease can spread by phone or <laughs> the internet or... Um, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, unless, again, they're hiding how bad these intern camps actually are. Well, they're also not, you know, they're also hiding the fact who's running it, right? feel like they're just testing us to see how how much they can get away with us you know as a people before we actually you know yeah it's just do something it's just insane i i don't know what it's, i don't e- i can't even really wrap scary. My head around this and and yet canadians are saying that canadian sentiment seems to be indicating that people are okay with these camps um even though they're unconstitutional, um, I I don't know. I I I'm over the past year or so. I don't really recognize my country, yeah. while at the same time I'm not surprised because we have a totalitarian globalist elite that is running our country, that is leading our uh, politics. That is directing our culture. I just so, I, I don't understand. Like we've all studied Canadian history, you know, like those of us that grew up here. Like, do you not remember like things that happened in like other parts of the world and just how it started so slowly and just kind of creeps in on you? Well, even even just like the internment camps that they had during World War Two for the Japanese in BC. I mean, those are the same sort of thing. That they're just interning these people because they fit a specific criteria, mm-hmm. um, not because they are actually dissidents that side with the Japanese in the war. Um, and we're having the same thing here. It's just because you came back from international travel, which constitutionally you have every right to do as a Canadian. Yeah. Um, so in in other fantastic news, uh, the World Health Organization, the WHO. Uh, released its initial investigative results regarding the origins of COVID-19. So roughly 30 days ago, the WHO was granted permission by the um, Communist Party of China to go into Wuhan and begin to investigate 
over a year later the origins of COVID-19. Um, so their findings state that the coronavirus most likely first appeared in humans after jumping from an animal. Uh, a team of international and Chinese scientists looking for the orig origins of COVID-19 said Tuesday, saying an alternate theory that the virus leaked from a Chinese lab was unlikely. Um, so this visit um, is facing a lot of scrutiny because not only is this the first time that a partially independent investigation into the origins of COVID-19 happened, but it's also the first time that a team has started looking at whether it leaked from the Wuhan uh, la uh, virology lab, um, which was the top secret facility that uh, was doing experimental tests on viruses and diseases in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it, it, it allowed the joint Chinese WHO team to further explore the lab leak theory. Um, and they decided that it was unlikely, um, stating the Wuhan Institute of Virology is home to many different virus samples, leading to allegations that it may have been the source of the original outbreak, whether on purpose or accidentally. In Barrick, a WHO food safety and animal disease expert, said experts now consider the possibility of such a leak so improbable that it will not be suggested as an avenue of future study. In Barrick said that the initial findings suggest the most likely pathway the virus followed was from a bat to another animal and then to humans adding that would require that it would require further research to pinpoint the exact origins of the virus. Um, asked why uh, the WHO and Chinese team thought that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was not to blame for the virus, uh, Embarek said accidental releases are extremely rare and, that's, and that the team's review of the Wuhan Institute's lab operations indicated it would be hard for anything to escape from it. He also noted that there were no reports of this virus in any lab anywhere before the pandemic. So, again, it's not because they've discovered the actual way that COVID-19 started, or because they actually have evidence that it didn't come from the lab. It's just that it was, quote-unquote, unlikely. Um, and uh, leading Marion Koopmans, a Dutch virologist on the team, uh, to state that some animals of the market were susceptible or suspected to be susceptible to the virus, including rabbits and bamboo rats, and some could be traced to farms or traders in regions that are home to the bats that they carry, the closest related to vi virus to the ones that causes COVID-19. She said the next step would be to look more closely at farms. So again, this WHO investigation team that uh, China only allowed into Wuhan after massive international pressure in May, um, have decided that the Chinese propaganda narrative that it did not come from their lab is correct because they have, it is highly unlikely and there's no evidence in the lab that this virus existed, as if it is impossible that the Chinese removed all evidence of this virus from that lab, given that we're now investigating this over a year ago, over a year from when the coronavirus started. Um, because again, as that Dutch virologist just pointed out, that team has no answers in terms of the origin of the COVID-19 uh, virus. And yet the only thing they're certain about is that it did not come from the Wuhan virology lab. So they're not certain about where it came from. They're just certain about that. Again, because the Chinese are pushing that narrative and WHO is not serving the world, they are serving the Chinese who fund and back them.
Um, so this is just a, another example of how China is using its influence to um, to engage in a propaganda campaign against the West and a propaganda campaign against anyone who would dare question um, their motives or question their um, their ability to be a world power. Again, I'm not even suggesting that China intentionally leaked this virus from the lab. I'm not even suggesting that for sure I am certain that it came from this lab. I'm just very skeptical that when the mainstream media is pushing that the WHO doesn't have any certainty about where the coronavirus came from, except that it didn't come from the lab, only because it's unlikely that it came from the lab. And, and nobody is, is, is talking about this news this way. They're all saying, oh yeah, we found the origin, it came from a bat from the market, when that's not actually what the WHO reported earlier this week. They just reported that we're siding with the Chinese because we, don't, we want access and we don't want to piss off the Chinese that fund us. Instead of we don't know yet where this virus came from, and we're going to explore all avenues and all possibilities that this may have come from the wet market, this may have come from a farm in China, this may have come from the Virology Institute. But again, the only thing they're certain of, based on no evidence, is that it didn't come from the Virology Institute, which again conveniently plays into the propaganda narrative of the Chinese. Isn't that convenient? Yeah. So this leads us into to our, our next topic, which is the Beijing 2022 Summer Olympics. So this has become a, a, a bit of a, a controversy in this past week because it's uh, a rare moment where every Canadian of every political stripe seems to be agreeing that um, the world needs to push back on Beijing holding the 2022 Summer Olympics. And that it needs to be relocated from Beijing um, because of its ongoing genocide against the country's Uyghur minority. Um, the the Green Party leader of Canada, the recently elected Green Party leader of Canada, Anami Paul, put it this way. If an ongoing genocide is not reason enough to relocate a sporting event, then my question is, what is? China has proven itself to be incredibly resistant to liberate liberalization of human rights and fundamental freedoms. There is no reason to credibly believe that the celebration of the 2022 Olympics in Beijing alongside a genocide will produce any such results. Over a dozen, uh, with over a dozen federal MPs from every party issuing an open letter calling for the games to move due to the ongoing genocidal campaign being committed by the Chinese Communist Party. In the letter, they wrote, mass rapes and numerous acts of torture are being committed in these camps. Women are being forcibly sterilized, adults and children are being kidnapped, and surveillance camera systems are being combined with artificial intelligence software to track Uyghurs both in China and around the globe. With Paul pointing out that some may argue that sports and politics should not mix, um, however, we would respond that when genocide is happening, it is no longer a matter of politics, but of human rights and crimes against humanity. So these Beijing 2022 Summer Olympics would give Beijing uh, not only a lot of credibility around the world, it would give it an opportunity to demonstrate itself as a world power and assert itself as a world power. And so many are wondering 
whether these games, if they're held, allowed to go forward in Beijing, would be equivalent to the 1936 Summer Games that the Nazi host that the Nazis hosted in Germany, um, in which the Nazis took full advantage of that opportunity to again display their might, display their credibility as a world leader, display their um, their power and their authority, and just really uh, assert themselves on the world stage. Um, and and I, I share, uh, even though I rarely share the same sentiments as a Green Party member, but I share uh, the Green Party of Canada leader Anne Paul's sentiments. When when there are clear human rights abuses going on in a country, you cannot allow that country to establish itself as a world power. You cannot allow that country to have the credibility of, of hosting international events uh, and, because that gives the country the, the perceived um, appearance that they are being supported by the international community when they actually should be ostracized from the international community because of their abuse of human rights. Um, and so uh, another thing I would point out here is I don't know why so soon when we're not even out of lockdowns and we're not even out of the woods in terms of COVID-19, why the whole world would want to go to China in 2022 anyway, the epicenter of the virus. But that's just my own thoughts and musings. I just don't understand like why some people are like, oh, you shouldn't mix politics with sports because that's happened to all our sports. Basketball, football, like, you know, like you can't hockey, you can't turn on your television and watch a sport without being bombarded with politics. Like, you know, like you, you watch sports because you just kind of want to like sit back and like not think about anything, you know, but no, you're, oh, you, you are bombarded with all this stuff. So, you know, it's already here. Politics and sports are already mixed, so... <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I think it just demonstrates how the international globalist elites have embraced China and have embraced China's totalitarian perspective on the world mm -hmm. um, and how they're starting to drift away from Western values of freedom towards this more top-down, centrally controlled systems. Yeah. Um, to to run people's lives um, and and China happens to be right now the leader in running top-down systems that control people in a very meaningful and purposeful way um, but that also violates their the fact that they're made in the image of God the fact that they're they have inalienable rights uh, to freedom, to freedom of speech, to freedom of uh, occupation, to freedom of religion, to freedom uh, uh, to bear arms and defend their families against both criminals and the government, if it becomes oppressive. Um, but as we've seen time and time again, like with the WHO story that we just mentioned, the international systems, the international elites the globalists are pushing us more and more towards a pro-China, pro-totalitarian, top-down uh, understanding of government and the world. 
um, as opposed to standing up for freedom, standing up for people's rights, standing up for people's freedom of religion, like in the case of the Uyghurs, um, which which should really terrify everyone and really, um, while at the same time, really make us start to not take our freedoms for granted and begin to educate ourselves on these issues, educate ourselves on where the elites want us to go. Again, look up the Great Reset. It's all out there. They're not hiding anything. Um, and educate yourself and start to know who to hold accountable and who, frankly, needs to be replaced in our governments so that we can stand up for, for freedom, for Western values, for, for classic liberalism. Um, so Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was asked about um, the growing call by Canadians and Canadian politicians to um, move the 2022 Beijing Summer Olympics or perhaps not have Canada participate in those Olympics. And um, Trudeau ha- uh, and while Trudeau stopped short of labeling the crisis a genocide, he did say that he acknowledged that the U.S. government recently decided to label it a genocide, stating, We have been speaking up directly to China's leadership for many years now on our concerns of women and ethnic minorities in Western China and throughout China. We will continue to stand up for human rights everywhere around the world. We will continue to call for better transparency and understanding what's of what's happening. Again, Trudeau's just obfuscating here. We know what's happening. Western intelligence has uh, clear video, clear images, uh, clear actionable intelligence about these camps. Um, and they're just atrocities. They're They're just as bad as the camps that everyone talks about in North Korea um, and, and it's being do- done to an ethnic minority. And, and these camps are just atrocities that should not be happening. And yet Trudeau continues to obfuscate and say, well, we don't have enough information when just this week, the top spy of Canada came out and said, China is a direct threat to Canada, to our sovereignty, to our, uh, intelligence systems, our defense systems, to our economy. He came out and said that, and yet Trudeau is still trying to placate the Chinese again because he likes their money. Um, now, this whole controversy has led Canadians to start talking about maybe Canada should consider putting in a bid for the 2022 Summer uh, Olympics as an alternate site to Beijing. This is where I I start to decouple from Paul on this matter. Uh, Olympics are just a giant waste of money. Uh, governments talk about it as this this thing that'll bring in all this money for the economy, and and if we just invest, we'll, we'll get a great return on our investment, not to mention the international recognition we'll receive for holding the games. It's just a giant waste of money. Not only that, but right now, we have no clear exit in terms of when we're going to get out of these lockdowns, and yet the government wants to spend, supposedly, billions of dollars to make Canada an alternate site for the Summer Olympics. To me, that's just ridiculous, especially with the fiscal crisis that we have going on in Canada right now, um, especially because hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Canadians are out of work right now. Um, it just makes no sense to invest billions of dollars just to host some games. Um, now, maybe we choose a neutral site and multiple governments around the world invest to hold the Summer Olympics. Or maybe we just say, Olympics aren't that big a deal. 
We have the Pan Am Games. We have all sorts of alternatives to the Olympics. And maybe we just forego the Summer Olympics in 2022 because we actually have to focus on getting people back to work, taking care of people, making sure people are healthy, making sure people have jobs, and investing in those areas in our country as opposed to investing money to send athletes to lose to Americans and Chinese and Russians at the Summer Olympics. Um, again, love Canadian athletes, but we're losing to the Russians, the Chinese, and the uh, Americans at the Summer Olympics. Now, Winter Olympics, whole different story. We <laughs> dominate the Winter Olympics. But in the Summer Olympics... Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, moving back to, to more of a... a domestic issue um thankfully canadians have started to stand up against these lockdowns um and so i want to talk about a little bit about the appropriate means by which canadians have begun to push back against the government's lockdowns um so the the first story actually comes uh from across canada um and it occurred uh this past thursday actually when 500 plus businesses uh, decided to open their doors against government lockdowns across Canada. So uh, this this news story came out uh, from the Epoch Times. Again, because the mainstream media will not cover this. They won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Again, because they don't care about the other side of the COVID-19 lockdown issue. They are designed not to tell the news, not to inform Canadians, but to continue to push the government's propaganda campaign that we need to sacrifice all our freedoms and all our wealth and all our livelihoods and our families even given the suicide rates the mental illness rates the abuse rates the divorce rates the alcoholism rates the drug use rates that are a result of these lockdowns all because of COVID-19 which again is no deadlier than the flu again no deadlier than the flu. So, uh, this is amazing. This is an amazing story that should have been everywhere on February 11th, but was not talked about. Um, except I would say on the news forum. Again, I don't know if any of you have heard of the news forum. They're actually a new Canadian conservative news network that just started a few weeks ago. Um, I find them quite uh, adept at just telling me the facts of the news and letting me form my own opinions. Um, they do have commentary shows on there, um, but I really enjoy their news forum segment where they're just telling me the news uh, from a conservative perspective, which means that they're telling me the news involving telling me facts and explaining figures and informing me of who's doing what. None of this oh, wouldn't it be great if we did this? Or or here's some more propaganda because cases are up. Or we need to do this because of this. Or here's the government's modeling, which is completely bullcrap. No, they give you the facts. They give you the figures. They give you the facts of the stories without any commentary. And they leave it at that. So I would say they're doing a fantastic job so far. Um, But yeah, so so this story of 500 plus businesses opening their doors on February 11th should be the beginning of a tsunami of businesses doing this and doing this more often. Um, so this, this movement 
was started by an organization called We Are All Essential, which is led by Vladislav Sobolev, um, who stated that the government has no right to identify one group of people or one group of businesses or one group of religious establishments, essential and non-essential, said Vladislav Sobolev. Um, most of the businesses that are forced to shut down are basically either zero transmission or very, very minute transmission numbers that actually come from places like gyms and restaurants. They're forced. These businesses are forced to be shut down when you have Walmart, Costco, Amazon, and any other cor- uh, corporate grocery store or chain where actually documented transmissions take place. However, they continue to operate. And I think this is a fantastic point that the media does not cover. These corporate centers are being sold to canadians as the only ones that can be that can operate and can be open during the pandemic when because apparently their stores are bigger so they can have they can have more physical distancing and they are and they still have transmission of covid-19 going on which is the exact reason why they say that small businesses because they're smaller can't open to in-person shopping because there'd be transmission of the virus so again, it, it just shows that that your government is not following the medical data. Your government is not following common sense. Your government is following the corporate money. Yeah. So, um, Sobolev uh, organized this um, re- rebellion, I would call it, um, this movement of businesses opening their doors because. He states, even if businesses are allowed to open with restrictions, they are still going to be struggling. And again, most businesses are not even allowed to operate at all. With with pointing out that in January, the Canadian Federation of Impeach of Independent Businesses estimated that 239,000 small businesses across the country could permanently close because of virus-related measures. This translates to more than 2.4 million Canadians possibly losing their jobs. Yet, as is the case with so many of these Canadians who are standing up and speaking against these lockdowns, even though the the media and the government tries to portray it as, oh, these are just evil business people that are just out to get money and they don't care about anyone's safety, Sobolev's concerns, like many of us, and this is our main motivating drive, is that um, in, in Sobolev's case, he immigrated from Russia over 21 years ago, and he is seeing that Canada is heading in that direction of the Soviet Union. He says, we had no freedom of movement in the Soviet Union. You could not leave your country if you wanted to. You were restricted in terms of what you were allowed to buy. And that's and that's exactly what is happening right now in Canada. And Sobolev is ringing the alarm. This is not about money. This is about Canadians being able to stand on their own two feet separate from the government, which is the only means by which Canadians can then hold their government accountable. Because if everyone is dependent on the government, if everyone is a ward of the state, no one is going to dare rock the boat for fear of losing their livelihood permanently because the government controls it. But if Canadians are self-sufficient, self-reliant, educated, functioning, Uh, in terms of being able to take care of their family, in terms of being able to put food on the table, they don't need the government. And they can stand on their own two feet and tell the government that you are violating our rights. You need to be held accountable. You need to follow the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 
in the Canadian Constitution. Um, and and this story, I love this story, um, because it sh- it demonstrates once again that in the Western world, because we don't have a top down controlling system, it's political will, not the rule of law, that is actually what animates our society. So, again, we as Canadians need to start standing up and remembering the word no. So when the government comes to you and says, you need to shut down and you can't put food on your table, you say to them, no. When the government comes and says to you, I'm going to detain you simply for returning to the country, you say to them, no. And the the list just goes on and on with those situations where we need to remember the na- the word no. Um, it it also made me think that uh, Sobolev is absolutely right here. The government has no right to distinguish uh, people as a essential workers and people as non essential workers, and then uh, punitively go after non essential workers. Um, simply because they work in an industry that the government feels is not essential. Again, because we live in a capitalist society, for the most part, uh, it has become quite watered down and it has become quite stagnated by government interference. But for the most part, because we live in a free capitalist society, all workers are essential or else their job would not exist because there would be no demand for it. So so this one made me think, should small businesses, should workers start contemplating how much money they've lost during the pandemic as a result of these government lockdowns and then go and file jointly all together a lawsuit against the government for reparations? Because these lockdowns are clearly not working. That's why instead of two weeks of lockdowns that were supposed to work, we now just have perpetual lockdowns, mm-hmm. and these lockdowns just keep getting more and more restrictive because they're working so well. Um, so, so again, I would encourage Canadians to start thinking about, should we start suing the government for reparations because they arbitrarily designated you a non-essential worker, and arbitrarily, without any... Um, scientific medical reasoning did not allow you to operate your business, open your doors, or did not allow you to go to work and feed your family. Um, so th- this is a, a really big and a really great story that, that, that happened over the week that again, you, you heard nowhere. That's why we're talking about it here. Um, and, and I would just encourage Canadians to keep going with this. Keep opening your doors, keep pushing, keep, demanding that your government be held accountable because um this is not just an economic issue this is a societal issue and what kind of society we still want to live in once covid19 is done mm-hmm. um so so in another story that came out and in another great piece of news um in terms of an example of a Canadian standing up to the government and saying, no, I want to exercise my rights and freedoms guaranteed to me under the charter. Um, An Alberta pastor 
has been charged and fined after he held multiple church services that violated public health orders. Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church near Edmonton was charged for violating the Public Health Act on Sunday. The church had held services beyond capacity for several weeks, despite having being ordered to stop by Alberta Health Services. Once Sunday service was complete, Pastor Coates was arrested and issued a $1,200 ticket. Coates was released and is due to appear at Provincial Court in Stony Plain on March 31st. Current public health orders in Alberta allow for 15% capacity at places of worship, with masks being required as well. Inspectors on Sunday found that the, ch the church to be nearly full, with around 300 people in attendance. RCMP and AHS inspectors found that congregants were also not wearing masks. Again, I can't take this, this whole not wearing masks thing, as if it's a big deal, when we know that masks don't work. They work 2% of the time. They work 30% of the time. And in a massive study that came out of the Netherlands involving 2,000 people, because they keep saying, oh, well, we don't have any scientific medical studies in the field to demonstrate that masks don't work. They found that the difference between those who wore masks and those who did not wear masks in terms of them contracting COVID-19 was 0.003%. Again, not 1%, not even 2%. 0 0.003%. Again, it, it's the medical data that we need to understand, and it's the medical data that needs to be disseminated amongst Canadians, because it's the medical data that will allow us to push back against COVID-19. Since, as they were saying yesterday, they just came out yesterday, or, or Thursday, I'm not sure which day, they just came out Thursday or Friday, and they said, well, COVID-19 might be past the point where it won't be a issue in the future. So COVID-19 is now so widespread across the globe that it's here to stay, guys. And unless we wrap our heads around the medical data and start saying, hey, given the medical data, these violations of our rights aren't justified, the government is going to continue to justify the lockdowns. I mean, they're already setting you up for another lockdown in May. Because they're already coming out and saying, well, Due to these variants that are now in the community, we need to shut you down again because there's going to be a spike in April. No, it's it doesn't matter about the variants. It matters about the fact that you've now locked us down as we're approaching March. And when you open us, begin to open us back up again, and we begin, begin to move freely amongst ourselves again, of course there's going to be a spike in the coronavirus. But again, as we've talked about on the show, Cases don't matter. The survival rate of the COVID-19 virus is 99.7% in those confirmed to have COVID. It is also half that in terms of its infection mortality rate of the flu. It is also half that or equal to the infection mortality rate of the flu in those 60 and over. Again, COVID-19 is as deadly as the flu. But we weren't doing this when the flu season hit every year. But again, 
I'm a heretic because I bring up the medical data. Canadians, you need to know the medical data and you need to start going to these quote-unquote medical experts and ask them to show you their medical data that they're using, not just continue to trust that they're using some sort of medical data in their decisions. Not to mention that these projections and these modelings that they keep talking about that they need to use, as opposed to the actual medical data that we have, have proven time and time again to be false and to be nowhere near as deadly as they're calling for. And yet, we continue to fall for it every time. And it just happens this time that they're blaming it on the variants. Well, you know what? COVID-19 is just like the flu. It's just like the cold. It's going to mutate. The fact that there are variants from other parts of the world doesn't matter because it would have eventually mutated here in Canada anyway. Mm -hmm. And again, the only way to get over this is herd immunity. Whether that's by a vaccine or whether that's naturally, the only way to get over this is herd immunity. So we should actually be spreading these mutations and spreading this coronavirus amongst ourselves as fast as possible. Again, whether that's vaccines, which they're not injecting you with right now, they're injecting you with experimental gene therapy, whether that's actual vaccines or by natural herd immunity, we should actually be spreading this COVID-19 stuff around to each other because that is the only way to ensure that our population can effectively combat the negative impacts of COVID-19 in a manageable way. But if we continue to shut down and isolate communities from one another to protect ourselves from COVID-19, we are not going to ever be able to limit the impact of that new mutation of COVID-19 or COVID-19 and the devastation it can bring to communities who have been isolated without COVID-19 or that mutation for such a long time. I mean, if anything, this is what happened to the natives when the Europeans arrived. They had never been around polio. They had never been around uh, the diseases that the Europeans had been around for, for hundreds and hundreds of years already. And so it devastated their communities. And, and we're creating the same sort of isolated communities that can be devastated by mutations of COVID-19 through these lockdowns. And we need to stop doing that. Again, we can get herd immunity through a vaccine, but it actually needs to be a vaccine, not this gene therapy crap they keep talking about. Because even this gene therapy crap involves you eventually getting coronavirus. Um, because again, it's not injecting coronavirus into you. <laughs> Um, so we need to stop with these lockdowns because not only are they hurting people by their restrictions, they're actually creating pockets of isolated communities where these mutations and these variants of COVID-19 are going to start devastating the people in those isolated pockets because we're actively trying to isolate ourselves as opposed to gaining COVID-19 herd immunity. And then when it mutates, our bodies already know how to fight that virus and that mutation. And so the impact of that mutation on the community would be less. Mm -hmm. But 
we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to talk about the medical data. We don't want to talk about the laws of immunology. We just want to make sure that you know that you need to shut up, sit down, and deal with it. And and just trust us blindly that we are using the medical data. That's the message the government's giving us. And it's just unfortunate because a lot of, you know, fellow Canadians, they they do. They they trust and they listen to the government. And maybe you could have done that, you know, a few decades ago. But not anymore. No, they... They've instilled such fear into these people, and and they believe it. They they believe what the government's telling them, and we need to stop just listening to what the government is shoving down our throats and do our own research. Like when you go to university, you know your professors tell you to like go out find data and then make sure that data like is legitimate find resources not just one one person saying one thing but like you know like fact check it kind of a thing you know what i mean like you know don't just believe everything that you know your professor is telling you like i had a professor mcmaster you know tell me um don't just believe you know everything i say you know fact check it you know do the research yourself so we as canadians we as people we need to do that yeah, and and this is such a tragedy because, for example, I was watching CTV News the other day, and they were interviewing um, this woman who was in a long-term care home, and they were asking her, you know, you just got the vaccine, you're about to get your second dose, what are you going to do once you get vaccinated? And she said, well, you know, I've lost a, a year of my life already because I've been restricted to my room. I'm going to go out and live my life. And instead of informing her or or relieving her of the understanding that that the government has actually openly stated that these vaccines won't actually allow you to do that at all, because again, they're not actually traditional vaccines, they're gene therapy. Instead of informing this poor lady of that who thinks that she's going to get her life back right, right in the golden years of her life. They just smiled and said, oh, that's so nice. We we hope that you get to do that. When they know full well that she will not get to do that. And she's living on a false hope. And this is what they're peddling. They're peddling lies. They're peddling false hope. Because they aren't following the medical data. And and and, and it's leading these, these poor older people to think that, oh, things will get back to normal. When... They are never returning to normal unless Canadians push back against their government. Yeah. And the thing is that a lot of these people that are following, um, you know, what the lockdown rules and, and genuinely believe all this stuff, they're genuinely good Canadians, you know. They, they're genuinely good people and, and they believe what the government is telling them. And it's just so unfortunate, so sad because... They just don't know any better. And and they've been able to, you know, their entire lives, like that lady you were just referring to, their whole lives, they've been able to trust the government. But we can't anymore. We simply can't. Yeah, and, and I, I think the more of these stories that keep coming out, the longer these lockdowns keep going, the more the medical data keeps piling up, so indicating clearly that face diapers don't work, 
social distancing isn't working um lockdowns aren't working um and that it is actually safe for people to interact with one another to provide for their families by going to work by um interacting with one another on a personal level by being able to go to church the more that the, the medical data keeps indicating this to us and the more that these stories of 500 plus businesses opening their doors against the lockdowns and uh pastors being arrested the more this is putting the church to shame and and i'm gonna go off here a little bit because um i think this is really important for the church to hear um these stories should put the church to shame. You would think that these stories would be a clarion call for the church to lead the way, uh, especially when over 300 people attended the Alberta Pastors Church this past Sunday, making it clear that the people want the churches to stand up. Again, he's in a tiny town. They say Edmonton, but he's actually outside of Edmonton in a tiny town. And he had 300 people show up. This isn't some like a couple dozen kooks that wear tinfoil hats and and really don't believe in COVID. No, yeah, three hundred people show up because they want churches to open, and yet the church remains silent. The church remains paralyzed with fear. The church instead continues to prefer to completely capitulate to the government. They continue to, de- and by doing this, they're continuing to demonstrate to Canadians that the church cares little about their plight. It, to, to me, it reminds me a lot of the Catholic Church. When the Catholic Church lost its validity in society due to ignoring the people's plight um, during the plague, because it, they deemed it too political, too controversial, or simply they didn't care enough to love their neighbors as themselves to put their comfort and political standing at risk. <coughs> as a result, this this meant that a lot of people turned against the church and no longer saw the church as having answers to their problems. And when this happened, this is when the the church in the West began to lose its standing as an arbiter of truth, began to lose its standing as um, the place where people could find morality, the place where people could find life, the place where people could find um, answers to questions that they've been wondering about their whole lives. Um, and, and churches here in Canada are currently risking the same thing. They are risking rendering themselves to irrelevancy in the eyes of Canadians. Because by saying and doing nothing about the government's overreach and these violations of our basic human rights, and the plight of of people frankly caught between the virus and the lockdowns, all because the churches here in Canada, again, just like the Catholic Church, say it's too political, too controversial, and they simply don't care because they're too fearful to risk their political standing, their financial and income tax standing, and their standing in the eyes of the worldly. They are risking being relegated to the ash heap of history in Canada. And we know this because the res- we know that, that the church is so fearful right now because the response from pastors who deem themselves holier than thou and too spiritual to mire themselves in the political and practical life questions of our day are instead choosing to look down and cast aspersions on those pastors and Christians who call for the church to open, all because these these Christians and pastors know they have been charged with caring for Christ's flock and desire to live in complete Christianity with all its practical implications for life. 
Again, Christianity is not some pie-in-the-sky type of religion. It has deep, useful, practical implications for life. Um, And yet these pastors who who keep calling these, these Christians too controversial and too political, the ones calling for the churches to open, state that they can simply ignore the plight of Canadians because we have a duty as Christians to love our neighbors as our not because again so not because we have a duty as Christians to love our neighbors as ourselves and thus due to the deadly nature of the coronavirus have a responsibility not to gather again that's not the case because if they were to actually make that argument they would be torn to shreds by the medical data because the medical data says the coronavirus is no deadlier than the flu so Instead, these church leaders comfort themselves that because we are called Christians to obey those rulers established by Christ over us, this means for that for the first time in history, Christian leaders are commanded to sacrifice nothing and that the church has no role in answering the questions of our time, no role in promoting and defending Western freedom, and no role in caring for Canadians. In effect, these, these church leaders who state that we need to continue to, to toe the government line have substituted the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. With love your government with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love yourself as yourself. Which allows him to conveniently ignore the examples of Christ who offended the rulers of his day, refused to submit God's purpose for him to the rulers of his day, and sacrificed everything because he loved us. Or the example of Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den because he refused to allow government to usurp the role only properly reserved for God in his life. Or the example of the millions of saints throughout church history who were thrown to the lions for refusing to bow down to Caesar, or taken and shot for refusing to bow to the Nazis or communists. Instead, these church leaders simply state unequivocally and repeatedly, as if it was mantra, that not only are Christians to never speak or act against their governments, it is preferable for Christians to adopt the communist model that the ends justify the means. With these church leaders stating that if we all agree this is an emergency, then we must agree the government has a right to do whatever it takes to deal with that emergency, and that if you dare speak about the facts of the medical data, which clearly state that, again, COVID is no deadlier than the flu, that lockdowns don't work and that face diapers are useless, you are to be considered a heretic for having disturbed the personal worldly spirit of the age worldviews by exposing the holes in the lie that is the government's narrative. For by expressing these facts, they say absurdly, you most assuredly are stating that the authority of these facts are to be held on par with Scripture's authority, and that these facts must be added as gospel to the Scriptures themselves, I guess in the great book of COVID. Instead of admitting to the truth, which is that when the facts about COVID-19 are spoken, they result in Scripture alone convicting these pastors of their disloyalty and treason against their master, Christ. Since the same sacred Scriptures that they claim to care so much about also read, Give to Caesars what is Caesars, and give to God's what is God's. All authority has been given to me, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? He, Christ, is also head of the body, the church, and he he is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he promised, he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the draw, day drawing near. Yet, of course, conveniently, what these church leaders mean by the sacred scriptures are only those parts of the Bible that justify their own spirit of the world of the age worldviews. Since while these same pastors do everything in their power to malign and shut up their fellow Christians who dare hold Christ and not the government as head of the church, because it's, because such Christians are too political and controversial. They are simultaneously clamoring about the great need for the church to be politically active against the highly controversial Bill C-6, which is attempting to ban all conversion therapy in any form, including preaching Romans 1 from the pulpit on Sunday, leading many to justifiably wonder, including myself, whether they are actually Christians who believe the entire gospel matters, including its clear implication that the church must remain open during this pandemic over and against the government's wishes, or are they just simply put homophobic? And let me just say this, to these pastors who counter and state that the church is able to fulfill the Great Commission due to advances in technology such as Skype and Zoom, that is a complete farce. We all instinctively know that such online gatherings are not what Christ commands. This is why every parent in the 21st century, whether Christian or not, when they sit down for dinner with their families, don't say to their children, let's all sit six feet apart, get on our cell phones and eat dinner together over Zoom. Not to mention, this is not what Hebrews 10.25 commands, as the reason given for gathering in person is to encourage and edify the body of Christ, especially as the day of Christ draw, Christ's return draws near. And it is clear that such digital gatherings do not permit us to edify the body through sacraments such as baptism and communion, or through the desperately needed warmth of human touch and in-person human interaction, which is why studies for decades have proven that regular church attendance promotes length of life and mental health and stability. Huh, almost as if the church is essential because that's what everyone or a majority of those suffering from the lockdowns are going through. Mental instability. Not to mention, I have never heard so much talk about the end times and the day of Christ's return drawing near amongst Christians as I have ever since this pandemic began. I could go on, and, and in fact, I will go on in next week's podcast when we do another First Things First episode on why the church must open. Um, but I would just leave you with this. I highly encourage Christians to stop asking and start demanding your church leadership explain their position on COVID-19 and give you answers to the following questions. How are they able to reconcile Christ's headship over the church while capitulating to the government and remaining closed? Why is this the first time in church history that church leadership has interpreted scripture to mean that the church is commanded that when the government says jump, the only res res appropriate response from us is to ask how high? Why is this the first time in church history that while everyone else is suffering and sacrificing, our church leadership has interpreted scripture to mean that we as Christians are commanded not just to avoid sacrifice, but to not care and instead repeat to our suffering neighbors the completely uncomforting government lie that COVID, not the government, is what is destroying your livelihood, abusing your children, and killing you. And finally, why is this the first time in church history that church leadership is demanding we the church operate using the currency of the world, guilt and fear? 
Guilt about bringing the gospel or caring for the downtrodden because when you do, you are purportedly committing biological warfare against them. Fear of government reprisal. Fear of putting other sanctification at risk. Fear of COVID-19. Fear of losing our status in society and what the worldly think, etc. When the Bible states once for every day of the year that Christians are not to fear even unto death, and that the blood of Christ has taken away our guilt and sin. And, and I'll leave you with this. Christ warns in Luke 16.10, One who is faithful in, ver- in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Meaning if your church leadership is unable to give you satisfactory, scripturally based reasons for why Christians in this great trial are commanded, again, unlike any other time in world history, to actively avoid suffering, sacrifice, and persecution for the sake of their faith, and thus why your church must remain closed, then I would suggest you look for leaders who are faithful to Christ to replace them, and open your church so that the church can get back to its commission. Since if the churches can't even muster the courage to open their doors and stand with their fellow Christians and pastors, who are dare follow Christ's example of sacrificing everything to show the Father's love for us, and instead prefer this dishonest reading of the scripture to justify their position that the Bible conveniently demands we sacrifice as little as possible in this time of great trial, because for the first time ever the Bible is being read that it now commands Christians must capitulate to the government? How can the church be expected to stand in the days ahead? When the trajectory of our society is ever tilting to not just being non-Christian, but actively anti-Christian, which is quickly leading us to a time when Christians will be openly persecuted in such morally repugnant issues, such as polygamy, pedophilia, and late-term and post-birth abortions, will soon be advocated for, promoted, and funded openly by our government and our societal institutions here in Canada. Again, I really don't understand what the church is waiting for. I really don't understand why we're not being what Christ called us to be, which is a blessing to the nation. And standing up and defending the downtrodden, standing up and caring for the downtrodden, standing up and demanding that Western freedom and Western values remain central to the operation of our governments. Um, in my opinion, you know, I personally have left churches over this in the past year. Um, I'm still struggling to find a church um, because in Ontario, unlike in Manitoba, unlike in Saskatchewan, unlike in BC, um, our pastors here are not standing up. Except for the one down in Windsor, is it? Yeah, and unfortunately that church is nowhere near me. Um, I, I've been trying to actively trying to find a new church um, that I can trust will hold me and my family accountable to the biblical truth of Christ. Um, and and I found churches that are that are trying to do the minimal amount of restricting in terms of following the lockdown orders that they're required to follow. Um, and I found a church that a lot of the leadership thinks that they should open and that they should stand up. Um, but I, I'm kind of reminded of a saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
So if you're going to stand up, stand up. If you're going to be accountable, be accountable. Be counted. Open your doors. I'm not really sure what this church is waiting for, what churches are waiting for um, in terms of opening if they know that this is wrong. Um, it, it's been long enough. Again, I, I, I don't understand it. I have a real hard time with these churches and, and these church leaders that say, oh, I completely agree. These, these lockdowns are very harmful. Um, they're, they're violating our rights in the charter. And yet they continue to sit on their hands. I, I don't know what needs to happen. I don't know what other medical data we need, what other biblical truths we need to hear or pull out of the Bible before you stand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was talking to, to one person and he was explaining how he, he completely agrees that these lockdowns are, are horrible. Um, but he, he doesn't hold that convictionally. And then he went on to talk about how people are committing suicide over these lockdowns. Families are being broken up over these lockdowns. Um, and so I don't know how you can't hold Christ's headship over the church convictionally. Yeah. I don't know how you can't hold that the church needs to open convictionally when these lockdowns are having in real time devastating consequences on Canadians. And you're being commanded by Christ to open your doors and fulfill the Great Commission because he is head of the church, not the government. Mm-hmm. And and I'm coming off as really harsh, but I don't know what else to do because nothing else seems to matter. Every time somebody writes an article about the need for churches to organize and open. Every time somebody keeps talking about this and doing nothing, people are getting hurt by these lockdowns. The church continues to not be the church as it's called to be. It, it continues to not recognize Christ's headship alone over itself. So I don't know what else to do other than to say open. Open, open. Stand up, be counted, open. If if I was a pastor right now, and and I went to seminary, but my life took a different road before COVID-19, and so I'm not a pastor. But if I was a pastor at a church right now, I would be in the same boat as this Alberta pastor. I would be in the same boat as the pastors in Windsor. I would be in the same boat as the pastors in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and B.C. Because Christ alone is head of the church. And to say anything different for any other reason is anathema to me. And so if it's anathema to you too, why don't you open your church? Stop talking about how nice it would be to open and open your church. Anyway, anything you want to add before we sign off here, Al? I know we... uh are signing off on an, an, an intense note, but um, 
like always, I hope that this um, podcast is a blessing to you and um, your situation and whatever it is you're going through. Um, we will be here again next week. Like always. Look. I have to answer for what I just said. And I will answer to that before God. But you also need to answer for what you're choosing to do right now with your churches before God. And so I I would just leave it at that. That I will be held accountable for my sin. In terms of what I just said. In terms of its... Specifically in terms of its impact it might have on certain people. But you're also going to be held accountable for your sin of not opening the church to care for Christ's flock. So I'll just sign off with this. I hope to see everyone in church tomorrow. I hope you all have a great rest of the weekend. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. You've been listening to the Good Is Dumb podcast. Check out more of the show on demand at anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Castbox, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, YouTube, or wherever podcasts are found. Also connect with and follow LNCB on Facebook, Parlor, and Twitter at Good Is Dumb Podcast.